I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and I'm delighted to welcome you back as we continue the stories of the Scottish Wars of Independence. Today we're going to be focusing on William Wallace or the rise of William Wallace and where he fits into this story. So to continue on from where we left off on the last episode, Edward I has invaded Scotland. He's dethroned John Balliol. Balliol's now imprisoned in the Tower of London. Edward has sacked the town of Berwick and he's also taken the Stone of Destiny from Schoon Palace. Now Edward has returned back to Berwick on his way down to London and on the 28th of August 1296 he has the Scottish nobility or the majority of the Scottish nobility sign a document that we now know as the Ragman Roll. Known as such because of its ragged or rugged appearance, uh, the big sheet of paper that every name was signed on at the bottom of which were these wax seals of every noble that had signed it attached to a piece of string so they dangle uh, down from the bottom of the document therefore making it look rather ragged. This now actually, or this document gave us the term rigmarole as well uh, which is obviously a term that we use for something that is very convoluted or pointless. This document ended up being very convoluted and almost entirely pointless. But one name that was left off of the ragman role, unlike say Robert Bruce who became uh, Robert the Bruce, his name was on it, but someone's name who wasn't there was William Wallace. So when we talk about William Wallace it is quite difficult really uh, to go into any proper depth uh, in regards to his early life anyway. For example, we don't know even where William Wallace was born. The believed place now is, is Eldersley. However, there's a nearby village called Ellersley, which also lays claim to being Wallace's birthplace. Near These places are very, very nearby each other, though, so geographically they're not that far away from each other. They're in the west of Scotland and they're near Glasgow, so it's most likely William Wallace was from that particular area. We don't know when William Wallace was born either. We believe it's probably around about 1270, making him about 26 years of age when the Wars of Independence kicked off. 
So why did William Wallace get involved? Why do we now know who he is? He was just the unimportant son of an unimportant knight. His father was Alan Wallace and he had a, an older brother called Malcolm. Now Alan and Malcolm were both killed in battle and William Wallace is believed to have joined the Scottish army because he wanted to retaliate, he wanted retribution for the death of his father and brother, so he joined the army then. But there wasn't really a Scottish army because Edward I had broken up Scotland, so Wallace needed to form his own army. That's the first reason. The second believed reason is because William Wallace's wife was murdered. Now, we're not even entirely sure that Wallace was married or that this woman who he's said to have married, uh, whose name does pop up in the history books, we're not even sure whether or not she existed either. So it's 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 a you know there's a lot of stories out there, um, so I'm just going to tell you the, the the story in which I believe, and I believe that both of these things happened. I I think that just the death of his father and brother were probably enough to make him want retribution. But I think in order to do what William Wallace did, there needed to be that thing that pushed him more over the edge. Um, than than just the death of of some family members. I think he he lost somebody that he truly loved in another way. So I believe that Marion, uh, who was his uh, believed wife, I believe that she did exist and they they did get married. And the the stories are what happened. What happened? But there's a whole story uh, into the whole thing there as well. So Wallace was not a rich man, but he wasn't a poor man. His father was, as I mentioned before, a knight. He was quite highly ranked um, in the Scottish army of the time. And he probably was a landowner as well, uh, which would have been passed down to William when, when he died. So the story in regards to Wallace and his wife. So Wallace and his wife, uh, the, the, his wife's full name was Marion Braidfoot. So the two of them were married and Wallace was already an outlaw by this particular point. He was really made an outlaw because it is believed that he killed f three English soldiers over some fish. Wallace had been out fishing one day. Five English soldiers stopped him walking away from the lake. Uh, the main soldier asked William Wallace to hand over his fish as these believed to belong to Edward I, you know, belong to the king. William Wallace refused, so the soldier lunged towards him. Wallace beat the sword out of his hand, grabbed the sword and killed three of the soldiers, leaving two of them alive, which allowed them to then go off and tell the story, which was passed down from generation to generation until uh, about 1488 or so when a man called Blind Harry wrote a poem about William Wallace. Unfortunately this poem is we're not entirely sure whether or not it has any form of historical significance or whether it's in any way correct. Uh, and again that's just because 150 years of word by mouth 
it's it, it's a long time for the story to be changed. So the story in regards to Wallace's wife's death is that after this incident with the with the five soldiers, Wallace is seen in an area called Lanark. Now it's believed that Wallace now lived with his wife in Lanark, so Wallace was making his way back to the town when he was spotted by some English soldiers who gave chase. Wallace ran through the village of Lanark through his house and jumped out through the back window. Inside of the house, though, was Marion, who decided to try and barricade the door closed to stop the English soldiers being able to find Wallace. They eventually managed to barge their way in. They found Marion inside. Marion refused to tell them where Wallace was, so she was taken outside and put on a mock trial as such and found guilty and therefore executed. Now, if this did happen, it's believed that Wallace probably didn't find out for a few days that this had even happened because he would have went into hiding out in the woods, and which was something that he was incredibly good at. But of course then, once he'd found out, he wanted even more retribution and even more retaliation. So he went after the Sheriff of Lanark. The Sheriff of Lanark's name was William Hesselrig. And William Hesselrig was not a very well-liked man, even amongst his own troops. He was not a very well-liked man. He'd been placed there by Edward I. He was taxing the people of Lanark, he was taxing anyone in Scotland and of course um, just with the fact that they were a force in that area they weren't very well welcomed by the Scots. So William Wallace went and he kind of formed himself his little army that one evening broke into William Hesselrig's compound. They killed every English soldier that they could find inside until William Wallace himself found William Hesselrig and William Hesselrig found himself decapitated in his sleep. They then burned down the entire compound so that the English could never return again. So again, for these acts of violence that he'd shown uh, at Lanark in regards to Hesselrig and uh, and with the soldiers and the fish, etc., uh, he was now an outlaw and he was hunted down by the English but again William Wallace did something he was incredibly good at, he was incredibly good at hiding it is then believed that Wallace headed north, he started to head north because he'd heard of someone up in the north by the name of Andrew Murray, now Andrew Murray is a very very important character within Wallace's story because everyone believes that William Wallace was the leader of the Scottish army from the beginning of the Wars of Independence, whereas in actual fact he wasn't. Andrew Murray was. Andrew Murray was from the north of Scotland. He'd taken over most of the, the castles in the north, especially uh, or including Urquhart Castle, just on the banks of Loch Ness. So he'd taken over that. It's likely he probably took uh, Dunotter Castle as well on the far east coast, uh, just outside of Stonehaven. Uh, that very famous castle out in the sort of rocky outcrop out in the North Sea probably took that as well. 
So the two of these men joined forces, William Wallace and Andrew Murray. Uh, Again, Murray sees in most of the north of Scotland, William Wallace chasing the English out of places like Fife and Perthshire, etc. Um, And then Wallace and Murray meet up in Dundee. So they besiege Dundee Castle. Whilst they were there, they heard that the English had formed in Stirling and that there was a massive invasion force happening up in Stirling, so the Scots army had to go there. So Wallace, Murray, and the entire Scottish army leave Dundee, and they march as fast as they possibly could down to Stirling. And they reach Stirling by the beginning of September of 1297. And this is where we have the first battle of the Scottish Wars of Independence, the Battle of Stirling Bridge. So during the Wars of Scottish Independence, and even long before and probably long after as well, Stirling Castle was regarded as the most important castle in Scotland. The Scots wanted to have control back of Stirling Castle because it's in the heart of Scotland. It is known, Stirling itself is known as the heart of Scotland. It's right in the centre. So if you control the heart of Scotland, then obviously then you control all of the arteries leading off from there. All roads, north, south, east, west, all of them led to Stirling. Now the castle itself is is like in Edinburgh, so if you've ever been to Edinburgh, or even if you've ever been to Stirling, then obviously you'll know what I'm talking about here. But if you've never visited Scotland or even seen pictures of the castles, both Edinburgh and Stirling castles sit on top of a large volcanic outcrop. So on the top is the castle, and then looking down from Stirling Castle, you can see a river. This river is called the River Forth. And crossing over the River Forth at that particular point was a small wooden bridge. This was known as Stirling Bridge. This was the only way to cross over that bridge for 50 miles in either direction at that particular time. It was the shortest river crossing. And when the Scots turned up uh, in the days leading up to uh, the, the Battle of Stirling Bridge the English army knew that they would have to cross over that bridge or cross over the river at some point or wait for the Scots to cross over. So this this was the perfect spot for the battle to take place. Now in modern day Stirling, when you're looking from the castle, you see the river first and then off in the distance you see another rocky outcrop with a big tower standing on top of it. Now, the tower itself is the image which you might be looking at just now for the podcast. It was a picture I took just a couple of weeks ago of the Wallace Monument. The William Wallace Monument stands on top of what is known as the Abbey Craig or the Abbey Crag, as we would say in Scotland. Uh, A crag just being volcanic outcrop, basically. So... the The placement of the Wallace Monument today is where Wallace and Murray and the Scottish army had based themselves before the Battle of Stirling Bridge. This is where the whole thing was going to be coordinated from. This is where the battle was going to be coordinated from. Now, luckily for the Scots, the way that Stirling 
or, or where the battle took place is where the bridge crosses over the river there's a big bottleneck in the river so the Scots would just need to wait for the English to cross over the river and then pen them in to this bottleneck they would either have to swim back across the river to the other side with all of their armour their chainmail, their horses etc or they would have to stand up and fight so this was the perfect place for this battle to take place so early in the morning of the 11th of September 1297 this is when the battle took place so early in the morning of the 11th of September 1297 the English army start to cross over the bridge they could only have two horses crossing side by side and three men crossing side by side because of the width of the bridge it was very very narrow they were then recalled back across the bridge because the commander the Earl of Surrey had overslept but now that the uh, Earl of Surrey had awoken he sent two friars over the bridge to try and negotiate with Wallace however Wallace sent them back with his answer his answer was and I quote here we are not here to make peace but to fight for our country's freedom. Let the English come on, we'll meet them beard to beard. End quote. So that's the that's the, the scene in Braveheart where you've got our Mel Gibson uh, on the back of the horse and they do the, um, you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom. That's, that, you know, so that's embellished really from that. So after the friars have been sent back to the castle to tell the Earl of Surrey William Wallace's answer, the Scots stand and wait. Very soon, though, the English army start crossing over the bridge once again. There was about 12,000 on the castle side of the bridge. So Wallace and Murray, they only waited for about 5,000 of those troops to cross because the Scots army on their side there was only about 5,000 of them. So it was a one-on-one -on -one battle rather than being heavily outnumbered. So they waited for half of them to cross. The Scots then charged and penned them in, in this to this little bottleneck within the river. So the battle itself goes on for roughly about an hour or so. And it's just absolute chaos. You've got horses throwing men all over the place you've got men jumping into the river and eventually the bridge itself collapses therefore meaning that no one can get back across the bridge and then no one can advance forward across the bridge so when the Earl of Surrey had started to realize that the battle was lost he apparently jumped on it onto the back of his horse and rode the horse all the way to Berwick never stopping once so by the time he reached Berwick his, his horse actually physically collapsed when uh, when he got there the chief Englishman to die was Hugh Cressingham who was Edwards I's treasurer within Scotland so he's the man the tax collector essentially now apparently after the battle, Hugh Cressingham's skin was torn from his body, cut into little pieces and handed out to the Scottish army as little mementos for the victory of the battle. And apparently there was enough skin for Wallace to even make himself a baldric or a sheath for 
his own sword. Pretty gruesome, I know, but that's uh, those were the times. So Wallace and Murray had been victorious at the Battle of Stirling Bridge. This was the first battle of the Wars of Independence, and the Scots, although on paper outnumbered, they weren't really because they didn't wait for the entire English army to cross over. They only fought the amount that they would actually be able to deal with. Now, unfortunately, during the battle, Andrew Murray was severely injured. He didn't die for a few months later, but what um, Murray was severely injured during the course of the battle, um, and I think he's very unfairly left out of history, and especially uh, in the telling uh, of the story in the film Braveheart. As I mentioned before, Braveheart, if you don't already know, is one of the most historically inaccurate films of all time. It is a fantastic piece of entertainment, but in terms of a historical document, it, it's it's we'll just go as far to say as it's useless as a historic document so that basically takes us up to the end of the battle of Stirling Bridge and that's where I'm going to finish episode number 3 going to leave you there um, so in the next part we will cover the, the aftermath of uh, Stirling Bridge and then continue on towards the battle of Falkirk and then towards what happens after that so we'll probably be able to deal with William Wallace over the course of two separate podcasts. So I'll just take this moment to once again thank everybody for liking the Facebook page and uh, subscribing on SoundCloud and on Spotify. I'm still working on getting the podcast onto Apple Podcasts, uh, but if you don't mind just for the moment sticking with me on Spotify and SoundCloud, as promised, I am looking into getting this onto YouTube as well, so every time a new episode will be uploaded, it'll be added onto the YouTube playlist, so you can just listen to one episode after another. And then with this particular episode, I'm going to hopefully unite the two of them and have them as one long podcast so that you have the whole of the William Wallace story all in one podcast rather than in two separate episodes. So, once again, please head over to Facebook, search uh, The Scottish History Podcast or uh, Scott History Pod. Just type that into the search bar and you should be able to find me. Um, we've also got the SoundCloud page, so soundcloud.com forward slash Scott History Pod. If you want to uh, hit me up on Twitter, I've got one follower I think at the moment um, so it's at Scott History Pod again bit of a theme going on here and the email address if you want to send me any feedback or please I prefer that to be done on Facebook but if you prefer uh, to email then please feel free to email me on scotthistorypod at gmail.com so once again I want to thank you very much for listening and uh, look out for part number 4 coming very very soon um, so we'll have that uploaded within the next 24 hours or so so once again thank you very much take care